Would you introduce yourself how you want to be introduced? Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, my name is Dolores, and I um, I live in the country, and I really love that about myself. And I am trying to figure out how to make it in this like beautiful busted world <laughs> beautiful busted beautiful busted yeah mm. is there anything else that I should say about oh I live in North Carolina Eflin North Carolina oh. thanks for tuning in to this extra special segment of our podcast sitting in the intersection On our most recent episode, we explored the intersection of gender identity and bathrooms. North Carolina's House Bill 2 was the inspiration, if you will, for that episode. And part of what we did was share portions of an interview that I did with a close friend of mine, Dolores, a trans guy from Texas who now lives in rural North Carolina. We liked the interview so much that we decided to share the entire thing from start to finish in the hopes that it will contribute positively to the conversation about the rights of trans folks everywhere. Before we begin, we owe a huge thank you to Dolores for sharing their story so openly, not only for our ears and understanding, but for all of you as well. Simply, thank you. A quick note on the audio of this segment, Dolores and I were sitting outside next to a barn and a somewhat busy road. Because of that, you'll hear some strange noises throughout. Some pleasurable, others not so much. Thanks for bearing with us. Without further ado, here's Dolores. I guess to start out, I would love for you to, to, you know, at this point, people will have either already heard your story or about to hear your story um, that you share at the process series, but it would be interesting, I think, to hear a little bit more about your journey in queerness and in transitioning and that kind of thing and, like, how you arrived at where you are today. (laughs) So we'll start off small. Okay, yeah, I'm like, (laughs) all right, Uh, so we're gonna be here all night. Um, my, gosh, my journey with queerness, my journey with, like, my uh, gender identity and my like sexual identity, my sexual orientation have been very intertwined, you know? And I think that for me, uh, you know, I've known since a very young age that I quote unquote wanted to be a boy, right? In my like five-year-old mind, that was like what I was desiring. And I remember getting like, crush on one of my summer camp counselors and like coming home at night and like getting down on my knees in my bed and like and like I never was like a religious you know so like yeah. praying was kind of weird but I would make wishes so I oh, would like wish upon a star that um to be turned into a into a boy and you know given like a little suit with a little like bow tie so that I could take my camp counselor on a date Interesting. Um, so that was like very much always a part of who I was even though it was very like internal to me and I didn't necessarily express that but like I remember always being like really just enamored with 
enamored with, well, both with women and men, but in very different ways. Like, my enamorment with women was very much about, like, wanting to be close and wanting to, like, and it was, like, always very romantic, right? Whereas my, like, fascination with men was more about, like, wanting to embody that or wanting Mm -hmm. to be that, Mm -hmm. you know, so... I just, from very young ages, I'd, like, have these two memories, right? One of, like, wanting to, you know, be able to take my camp counselor on a date. That's <laughs> um, really adorable. And and then the other, like, being, there was a period of time where we went uh, to my mom's Greek. So we, would, we were going to this Greek Orthodox church, and often after service there would be, like, gatherings, um, and we would eat food, and there would also be lots of dancing. And I remember always being so fascinated with, like, the men's dances. And there was this, like, one Greek man in particular who was just, I mean, he was, like, very, he was, like, tall and th- and really, like, in a lot of ways, like, stereotypically Greek, like, yeah. had this, like, you know, mustache and, like, the hairy chest, but was, like, also very, like, skinny yeah, and... like, svelte. And, yes, svelte. That's the <laughs> word I was thinking of. And then I was like, oh, man, that... I don't know if I should use that word. I don't know. I don't know why, but like svelte, it just feels very, um, I don't know, sensual in a way. Oh, I see. Um, and and watching him dance, and he would always he would like dance, and he would always have this like cigarette hanging out of his mouth while he was dancing, and he had those like you know just like really deep grooves in his face, yeah. and would like put his arms out and like snap his fingers to do this like traditional Greek men's dance, and there's one part where he would always like spin on one foot and then like and then like kneel down and slap the floor with his oh. with his hand, and it was just like. Like, I wanted that, and I wanted to be that, yeah. and I want like, he was this, like, old Greek chain-smoking <laughs> dude was, like, Now looking my, back, look, you're like... I'm like, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, like, totally wanted that. Like, I wanted to be that. Um, and But I never felt like I could ask, you know, like, I want to learn the men's dance, and, yeah. and I was not at all interested in, like, learning, right, like, the women's dances and like traditional Greek dancing and so um so those were sort of like the seeds right like and I look back on now like that enamorment mm-hmm. and being like yeah like I was always who I was did you, you ever know? talk about that like in your family oh no yeah no the only time I ever talked about it was we were it was during my mom's birthday one year she had some friends over to the house and she had put on some Greek music and there was dancing and I actually expressed, this was when I was in college Mm. and was already uh, starting to sort of veer toward a more masculine presentation. And that was the only time that I ever like verbalized, like I want to learn the men's dance. Um, And, and there's totally in my mom's house, there's like totally this picture of me in with like my dreads, but like in that same pose with the cigarette hanging out of my mouth and I was like, I had to do it with a cigarette, too, right? Like, I just had to, because that was the thing. Um, doing that that dance. And that's the only time. And how I, was that received? In the moment, it was, like, really... Uh, it was fine, yeah. you know? And it wasn't... But there wasn't any deeper conversation 
you know, and of course, looking back, there are probably lots of times that I mentioned stuff or said stuff to my mom that went unexamined, um, or un, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Unmined. Right. You know, in a lot or of ways. like kind of dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I didn't, I mean, when I grew up, I didn't, I didn't know that like a trans identity was something that existed or that was possible, which I think is not a super uncommon experience, you know? So, uh, I think I got a language for like gayness way before I ever got any sort of vocabulary for gender queerness or gender fluidity. Um, so I just like always remember having been very much attracted to to women and um, and it wasn't even until college that I really like I also remember the time like it was it was on my like 20 I think it was my 21st birthday where I remember I bought my fir- I bought my first men's shirt like button down men's shirt and I was like I feel like this is who I really am. Like, you know, this like one shirt that I, that I had like picked out for myself that from like the men's section of, you know, forgive me, urban outfitters, you know, (laughs) when I was like 20 years old, but it, it it was like a, such a small thing in, in some ways, but also really affirming. Um, and I think that that's really when I started to, I started to like really, entertain the notion or the possibility of of even like what it would be like to to primarily wear men's clothes Mm -hmm. um and was this mostly internally entertaining that notion or i think it was starting to externalize a little bit um because up until then it had been very internal i mean i always you know i was a kid that always like i wanted to you know when I would like see movies or like I had a very rich fantasy world and Mm. I was like always the guy or I was like always you know I would like fantasize about having relationships with with one of the Spice Girls (laughs) (laughs) which one let's be honest um, you know depended on my mood (laughs) like I totally you know I always got typecasted as baby spice because I had blonde hair and I was like I'm not baby spice no I would not characterize you as baby spice whatsoever that was really tough The, the, (laughs) the Spice Girls that I was probably the least drawn to was was well were I would say sporty spice and posh spice. Okay. Yeah. Um, sporty because it's, it's not really like what gets me going, and yeah. and posh was just too. Uh, it's just too skinny. Yeah. Posh was just too skinny. Yeah, a little thick, day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. So yeah, I would like fantasize about like having a romance, you know, and and always always fantasized about myself as like being a man. Um, and in some ways, like it was always it was very like heteronormative, right? Mm-hmm. Like also, I think at that time in high school slash college, my notions and my ideas of gender were super heteronormative and super binary. And this right? is in Texas. In Texas, right? yeah. Okay. Um, and. Uh, after I graduated from college, I 
um, I joined a drag king troupe. And that was when, like, my gender identity really... Both my gender identity and, in some senses, also my political awakening and awareness really started sort of, sort of like, dovetailed in that in that. Was moment. that in Texas as that well? That was in Texas okay. as well. And, How you know, did you get connected? I just that? went out with some friends one night, and we ended up at this, um, this bar called Elysium that... Uh, I frequently went to because every Tuesday night was Sappho's Isle and uh, you know so we'd go and hang out there and then I was wandering by one night and they were having like an amateur like open mic night situation and one of the people who was in the troupe I had been acquainted with through uh, my years at UT earlier my earlier college experience and they were like oh you've got to perform you've got to come on you got to perform you got to get up there and and I was like, no, 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 no. And then I like watched a couple people perform, and I was like, I, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I'm not, like, not usually so cocky, <laughs> right? But I was like, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this in my head. Like, I can do this. Like, I've been practicing this been, Greek dance. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and so I, um, I, so I performed that night, and I, I performed um, Mr. Jones, <laughs> Counting Crows was my signature uh uh number for the first couple of years and so i did that and it went really well and i had a fucking blast and it was amazing and they were like you need to join this jack tink troop and i was like yes yes so brave you just like hopped on up yeah i mean i didn't at that time i certainly wouldn't have uh wouldn't characterize myself as as brave but just like I don't know. I guess the spirit moved me. Yeah. Or the whiskey. Something, it, something moved me. Combo. <laughs> um, and so that's when it started. And I just, like, started getting really into, like, ties and button downs and suits. And I went through, like, a really long, like, hat phase. Um, and, and you know, like, I would go out and I would, like, go out and, and wear ties and, and button downs and... Um, and it was like really the start of me uh, bringing my like what I saw or visualized or fantasized about in my head like to the outside world Um, and what was that like? I mean I think I felt like hot and attractive and sexy for probably the first time ever nice. you know yeah. it was it was like really affirming because it's it's like what I wanted it's what I wanted to wear and how I wanted to present myself to mm-hmm. the world and it was the thing that made me feel the most me mm-hmm. you know which is funny now because now I'm like I don't have I'm like I don't have time for ties and <laughs> and like bow tie you know what I mean like I just like I I don't know I guess now in my 30s I'm ready for like my uniform which is is what which is is just like you know I'm like I need uh three pairs of pants (laughs) (laughs) two button-down shirts uh some (laughs) t-shirts and like a pair of uh sneakers a pair of black shoes and a pair of brown shoes right which is totally not I mean like 
there is uh, a part of me that really like I still have like far too many shoes and like far too many clothes but I can like see myself just coming to this other place in terms of my um, identity and the way that I present myself which in some ways is, is because like I now that my presentation of myself is more authentic and real like day-to-day life because now that I'm like yes I wear I wear men's clothes and this is like my day-to-day life it doesn't feel like such a the performance of it right is not the same as what it used to be yeah so how did you get from joining the drag troupe to today Mm. um well I mean I think joining a drag troupe was it was the first time that I had met like a trans per- like someone and somebody who was who had transitioned um, from female to male. Like so it was the first time that I ever had people in my life who had transitioned or were transitioning. So all of a sudden this like other way of being became possible to me. And I think that I still and also, like, I was I was starting to get, you know, so this this troupe was just, like, one of, of many that were in existence in the country at the time. I mean, this was the early, early to mid-2000s. Um, and, well, it was, like, mid, actually mid to late 2000s, because I joined the troupe in 2005. Um, and there was, like, such a vibrant drag king uh, community happening, like, across the country and across the globe and so there were a couple of uh events that happened nationally one was the international drag king extravaganza um that was like a combination conference and performance um and so you know i went to that um i think in 2006 and it like blew my mind and that was also the first time that i witnessed people inhabiting gender identities that were not like definable Mm. for me yeah um certainly outside of the binary yeah that existed totally outside of the binary right um and and just being exposed to that and being like in relationship with people who were navigating those issues like really helped me to think about my own gender identity and and what that meant for me and the extent to which um you know like and and realizing that hey transitioning like it's not only an option but like it's not only like a thing that's real, but it's a possibility for me. And it still took me, I mean, many years to make the decision to to start like medical processes, right? That would allow me to transition. Um, <clears throat> and it wasn't until, you know, September of 2016 that I started taking testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I initially didn't, even necessarily want testosterone as, a, as much as I wanted like top surgery because mm. that was a thing for me that felt like this is what I feel the most dysphoria mm. yeah. around this like physical part of my body that like 
it's just like can't get in sync with my brain yeah um but you know like that kind of option is not financially um feasible and it's also the most permanent yeah right so um so you know i also put i put the i would often put the decision i would put off the decision because i was primarily concerned about how my family would react or how um or what it would do to my what my mother would think or how my mother would respond and there were for many years that would go by where I just felt this agony about wanting to make some sort of move to make my physical self match up with how I view myself internally um and I think family fears around family were a big reason why I, I postponed that decision. Were there other fears that were in your mind? Um, you know, I think that there was a part of me that um, that for some reason felt like I had to find a way to be okay with the body that I had. Um, and, and in some ways I feel like I pressured myself to, to try to like accept the body that I had. Um, even, even though like it was never anything that made me, happy or okay with you know and I think all other parts of it were also around around like <clears throat> body image issues or weight issues um, and feeling like overweight and being like oh well maybe if I just lose this weight I'll be okay with the body that I have mm. um, <clears throat> you know I think there are a lot of layers and pressures that society like presents us with about how our bodies should look yeah. Um, that were not helpful for me, at least in being able to discern what I needed versus what I didn't need. And I, you know, and honestly, one of the things that I thought about a lot was what it meant, what my desire to transition or to alter my body might say about my views of femininity yeah I'm, I'm really curious about this yeah so there were times when I would I would question myself and I, and I would say like if I like if like what does that say about me if I cringe internally every time someone calls me ma'am mm-hmm. or miss or or tries to like pull some tries to feminize me right like why do I have an internal like response yeah. that is primarily negative when when people feminize me. Yeah. Um, and I think also that part of that is like was also wrapped up in being sexualized, right? Yeah. Like uh, being sexualized by men, and it's like particularly invalidating. Yeah. I think to be sexualized by um, when I already have like all of these like challenges around identifying with my body and then for my body on top of that to be sexualized yeah. by people who don't know me at all right um 
Did you ever feel like, or did you ever ask yourself, you know, is there some sort of like deep seated misogyny? Yeah, multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times. Um, and I had to get, I had to get good with myself. I had to get, I had to like, I think, uh, tease that out yeah. a little bit, or at least I wanted to, um, you know, cause for me, I, I would ask the question, like, is my desire for this other body and this other identity in the world um, a rejection of femininity? And I think primarily that that question arises from being socialized in a culture that um, that has really violent attitudes toward femininity, right? So I think in a culture where femininity is valued in the same ways that masculinity <coughs> is, I don't know that the question would have even come up for me. Right. Right, so... For me, it became about my my need, right? Because it, it is very much a need, mm-hmm. right? My need to um, be able to move through the world in a way that feels authentic and true to me does not inherently mean that I'm rejecting another part of myself. Um, Right, and I think that we we live in this culture that is very much, um, that is not a both and, right? Like it's a it's an either or, right? Yeah. You're either male or female. You're a woman or a man. You're gay or you're straight. So, we live in a culture, right? That to choose one thing means to reject another. Right, right. But the truth, honestly, is that for me, even to define my own masculinity like is um to utterly reject femininity is not an accurate representation of my own masculinity right or your history or my history right so i may not so i think also and you know people have different feelings about this you know like some trans folks don't want to have any connection or or reminders or relationship to uh their life pre-transition Right. For some people, there's like a before and an after. For some people, it's more fluid. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't have any desire to um, erase or disown my relationship to being socialized as a girl and a woman. I'm like super proud of that. And I really honor that. Mm -hmm. And I feel actually lucky. That, that that is part of my history. Right. And I have no intention of ever disowning that part of myself because it's very valuable to me. Yeah. And it makes me, and I think it also helps to define my own sense of masculinity mm. because I'm also not okay with trying to inhabit a masculinity that is um, 
that doesn't have room or space for the qualities or the characteristics that we tend to associate with femininity. Right. Yeah, I mean, it feels toxic to do that. You know? Right. Um, what role... I wonder if you could talk about the, the role that your mom has played in your transition or what that relationship has been like, mm. um, and also the role of your brother. Mm. Um, or the significance. Yeah. So it's interesting. So my, yeah, my brother um, is... Uh, often a like source of inspiration in one way or another in my life um, and he ate from a very young age very very young age expressed a sense of like gender nonconformity um, interestingly he seemed to have a much easier time just integrating that into who he was than I ever did. Like his notions or ideas of, about like what other people would think was not ever something that seemed to bother him all that much. He was never somebody who was bothered by what people thought about him. Um, so he very early on expressed, expressed, you know, what I see and what he sees as his like his authentic like gender identity mm-hmm. and you know he often even as a as you know he often got mistaken as like a younger tiny human um <laughs> often was I don't want to say mistaken but like um called a boy and th- there was just like just this an energy like his energy um was very was just very I'm using the language that I like had available to me at the time so I I would say that his energy was very masculine mm-hmm. um, and and there were times when that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit because he he just seemed to have this way of, of navigating or moving through the world um, that made it seem like it was easier for him than it was for me and I was always someone who was much more concerned with with how the world would per- perceive me or with the consequences of the things that I did. Um, and he was always just unabashedly himself. Did he resent that at all? Totally. I mean, it would piss me off sometimes. I think, you know, sometimes from, from the perspective of like, from a place of fear, right? Of not, he was the one who, you know, I, he came out as trans before, before I ever did. And he was younger than you. Yeah, he's he was about four years younger than me, and um and we for a short time were in the same drag troupe together because I like oh, pulled him I into the drag troupe, and that's where so he like came up with his drag name, which was Miles Long, yeah. and and then he kept the name Miles, um and 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 but it was also just like like that he was like this is just a thing my name is miles like and this is just a thing that i'm gonna do so how did your mom receive that 
She never called him Miles. Oh. Yeah. And even after... Even though he was like, this is how it is. Yeah. Yeah. She, she couldn't Mm-mm. make that jump. Mm-mm. No. And then, you know, so when he died um, in 2012, there was there was lots of... It was really tricky because you know, his death was really sudden. Um, and there, so there was no sense of like him being able to communicate what he would have wanted in, you know, or how he would have wanted to be referred to. So I found myself spending a lot of time fighting for um, his existence as Miles to be respected. Um, in the face of like legal documents that would have just erased any aspect of that, which was just was not a complete picture of him. Um, And you know, there would be times when my mom and I would be, we would be having conversations in the room about like, you know, just like funeral arrangements and things. And I would be using the name Miles and he would be using it and she would be using Miles's birth name and we would just like talk to each other using different names um and and I think that that's again like I advocated for what I thought he would have wanted and and you know my mom had lost her daughter um do you do you ever try to tap into like what would Miles have done? Yeah. Or what would he have said in this situation or you know? Like do you think about that regularly? I think about it pretty often. Mostly when I have anxiety or fear around doing something. Yeah. I say like I'm like would Miles do this? Miles Miles would do this. Um he was really big-hearted um, and generous, very, very generous, and also really impulsive, <laughs> right? So you know, I think that the you know two sides of a different of a different coin, um, and he was super trustworthy or trusting of other of other people, and he would talk to anybody, right? Like me, I'm a kind of I'm like I do not talk to strangers. Shit, half the time I hardly talk to the people I know and love, right? <laughs> But, like, I definitely do not talk to strangers, right? And he would talk to anybody, for better or worse. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that you and I have always connected on is our complicated relationships with our mothers. (laughs) I know. Um, And I wonder, like, if you could talk a little bit about the presence that she has in your mind and your heart and, and, and Mm -hmm. how that affects your day to day. (sighs) Yeah. So she is, um, she is somebody who has, I think been concerned 
primarily with my financial security and stability. Hmm. Um, which, and I am somebody who is primarily concerned with my happiness. So <laughs> there are, um, you know, there are, we often really miss each other. Uh, because I meaning like in terms of communication Mm -hmm. because I make decisions um, out of a need for my own well-being and a desire for my own happiness Um, and if that does not um, if that conflicts with my what my mother thinks is correct then there's conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mother is also somebody for whom uh, you know, in some ways like she's, she's concerned with very like concrete things, right? Like, like stability and security, you know? And if like, if I'm tell her about a job that I'm trying to get or have gotten, she's like, how much are you getting paid? And do you have health insurance? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And uh, she's also someone for whom an education, like traditional, like university college education, is very important. Um, and she, um, I think that she, I think that she is like obligation driven or duty driven, and I am much more emotionally uh, driven, which is not like sometimes that's a really unhelpful thing to be (laughs) it's like emotionally driven you know Mm -hmm. so i but i think because of and i don't i don't know i mean you know it's funny now that i'm thinking now that i'm like oh yeah this is gonna like go public i'm I'm just (laughs) like holy shit if my mom ever hears this if my mom ever heard me say this stuff she would probably be like you don't understand me at all Mm -hmm. right like which i think is as a theme of our relationship is that we have a really hard time understanding each other um, yeah, I, I think, like, just in knowing the situation and knowing my own situation is, like, we have really different ways of communicating, mm-hmm. right? And really different ways of being in the world and really different communities around us. Mm-hmm. And so, so often, you know, it's not, I don't think, and correct me if, if you disagree, but it's not because one of, it's not because she has a bad intention, or no, she like yeah. wants she wants there to be turmoil in the relationship or she is like super dramatic or you know something like that but it's just like you're totally missing the mark mm-hmm. you're totally yeah just you can't you can't quite ever get on the same page mm-hmm. or even in the same chapter yeah or even the same book, book. sometimes yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's it's really it's challenging and it's really painful I, a, a lot of the time you know and I think I think you're right like I think it I, I I would never say that my mother ever meant to cause me harm and in fact like I think that my mother only ever did the best that she could yeah um and I think I think some of the other points of misconnection are like with her history as an immigrant mm-hmm. who who never really had an interest in coming to this country and who has felt 
has not had a pleasant experience living here and also as a survivor of domestic violence you know I think that um there are just a lot of cultural pieces and myself especially having been raised here where we miss each other around cultural uh values i think mm-hmm. um so there have been long period i mean and in particular when my brother was alive there were, i mean i would i could go months without talking to my mother because it was because we didn't really we didn't communicate we couldn't communicate um and i think by virtue of that she's missed out on a lot of parts of who i've grown to be um which are things that she doesn't understand or doesn't place the same value on as as i do um And she's also not someone to be, like, super, like, tender or or nurturing, you know. And I'm someone who is very emotional. And what I need, actually, is to, like, have my emotions validated and to, like, be tended to. And my mom was, like, she was, like, I was in a Ph.D. program and in an abusive relationship with your father. And I did not have time for feelings. Yeah. You know, which, which is super practical, right? Super practical. Like, that's so real. And then also, I'm like, oh. oh and then you start, <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, oh, that's so sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think the same, like, stuff has happened around gender, you know. I think we never talked about my gender identity. My mother would say because I never told her, and I would say because she never asked. Right. You know, and so... um I think that there were lots of times when I wouldn't tell my mother things about my life because I felt like I would get um, told that I was not making the right decision or that I was wrong about something or, you know, my mom is also like a scientist and like super intelligent, like highly intelligent, probably one of the most intelligent people that I know. And... sometimes it's like hard to tell her that she's wrong about something (laughs) you know or that like what she's telling me is the truth is not what my experience is right um and then you know throwing on top of that like issues got my mother i mean this could be a whole nother podcast (laughs) episode but you know it's just throwing the the issue of race um that's gonna be my next question into the picture too that we've had a lot of conflict and and um, hardship around around race, um, you know. Also, from from her perspective, like trying to put somebody who's like a mixed race child through a public education system that like she had to fight tooth and nail, right? And also. So, like, fighting her battle as, like, a white mother, um, and I should say, I should say white European mother. So there's, yeah, so there's not even, like, the, like, white American, right? She also, like, has grown up in a context of, in a place where a conversation or context around race is very different from what a white American's understanding, right? So, um... 
And so now in recent years, as I am like cultivating my own racial identity and like a very strong racial identity, I think that's just another point of contention for her because she's like confused about that. Confused how? Because she doesn't see me as black. Mm. She sees me as mixed. How do y'all talk about that? We talked about it once and had an argument about it. Um, and then it's never. No, it hasn't come up again. So now you're like, I don't know, like six months into taking hormones. Yeah, I have facial hair. Yes. I have. T- so I have... what changes are you seeing? Ah, oh. um. So. Like, let's talk. A little, let's talk yeah. practical. So my cycle stopped immediately. Really, that quickly? Yeah, it was pretty much after, uh, like, after one dose. My cycle stopped immediately. Which wasn't even a thing that I was, like, prioritizing as, like, oh, my God, this would be amazing. But I really have been totally okay with (laughs) not having a cycle. It really is. The best thing about having an IUD. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, I I love it. I love it. Nice. I love not bleeding every month. Yeah. Um, and so that was, like, the first thing. The, um... Also, some some of the uh, facial hair started to come. Like my, I already had like a little hint of a stash, but that really started to come in pretty quickly. Um, and then my like tiny beard here; those are the things that I noticed um, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I would say probably about. Um, and I also I also started putting on weight, mm-hmm. which. Um, really really fast and not Mm. I think just like things were getting redistributed a little bit and still are very much so um but you know I think I probably gained like 15 pounds in two months Mm. and um and let's see what else well one of the things you mentioned after hearing um yourself on for our show was around your voice Mm. yeah i my voice changing is like one of the like sweetest things for me it's again not a thing um that i i thought a whole lot about i mean i knew it would happen but i didn't quite think that it would feel as good as it has I mean and I still am in total like now it's getting kind of annoying because I'm in like full-on second puberty (laughs) voice cracking mode like anytime I get excited I'm like every time I come home I'm like hey boobs how you doing and then my voice just like goes (laughs) or I'll be at the office and I'll like you know get halfway excited and my voice I'm like I'm like, ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> and just like my voice just like shatters all over the place. And it was super cute for the first month. But now I'm like, I'm ready for that to yeah. settle. Um, so that's still happening, right? The voice deepening. Also, one of the things that has been less fun is that I, in some ways I don't, I don't actually like feel like I understand where my natural like vocal register 
is mm. now, right? So one thing that I really enjoy is karaoke, or I love like belting shit out when I'm in the car, and I try to do that now, and I can't do that because I can't sing in the register. Mm. Not that I'm like a talented singer or any, you know, like I can like three quarters of the way carry a tune, yeah. right? And now that's like totally gone because if I try to sing in a higher register it like won't my like oh, vocal cords can't do it or even if I try to go like you know if I try to do something like go woohoo but if I try to yell that like I can't yell that high Interesting. so it's just like all these weird little things that you never have to think or that I never had to no. think about and I'm like oh how's this gonna be like where's this gonna settle up yeah. settle or land um and it's but I also like I love having a deeper voice yeah. and I feel like I sound m- more like myself right or how I imagine myself to sound you know so what's been the reception both from people that you know already and people that you don't or what, what have you noticed? Ha- have you noticed any? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 I've definitely noticed. I, th- you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other, um, the other day. Like one of our, uh, one of my coworkers, is uh, is pregnant, and there's, uh, it, I think in the like year and a half that I've been at my job like three people like I'm now we're now on the third person who is like pregnant so I've been through several like pregnancy oriented events and rituals um and I remember like thinking like man like I want like a a tea shower you know, like it's yeah. so it's so much a rite of it's absolutely a rite of passage yeah. for me. But in some ways, it's something that's really like private and not talked about. So people don't mention it to me unless I mention it first or unless there are some people that I'm like I notify about like everything that happens or like every update. Right. So that's a rapport mm-hmm. that's established. Um, and again, this is something that would be different for different people. For me, like this is something that is like super exciting and wonderful in my life. And fuck, I want it to be celebrated, yeah. you know? And so I, it's just so interesting. The things that like, uh, and, and also I'm sure that there are people who like would not want to call attention. Right. You know, that just want to try and stay under the radar. Yeah. And, and I'm not one of those people. Like I just, (laughs) Like, ever in your life? <laughs> I mean, maybe I would have at some point, but I really am am not. Like, I think by, by virtue of who I am in the world, like, I'm somebody who does not really have the option for invisibility. All right? Like, I'm black. I got hella tattoos. And I'm, I'm have had the privilege... And it's sad that this is a privilege, right? But the privilege of spending a lot of time in spaces where my identity is affirmed, Mm -hmm. that I have no tolerance for being in spaces where I have to be closeted. Mm. And I'm also one of those people who I know that we are already 
as like a community, as trans, genderqueer, gender fluid, we are already invisible because the systems that are in place make every effort to ensure that we stay invisible. Right. right. And so do you feel like it's a political statement almost for you to to be vocal about it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm like one of those, you know, for me the person the personal is absolutely political. And not because you know, like not even because I make it political, but because other people make it political. Yeah. Right. So, you know, so I definitely feel that like I want people, you know what I mean? Like I want people to be excited about my facial hair. I want people to be excited about my like muscles and my like voice getting deeper. Yeah. One of my coworkers today was like, this is a person who I've like talked to about my transition. And I told them that I was starting to do particular workouts to uh, build a more masculine physique. <laughs> um, <laughs> And which essentially means I'm trying to like make my shoulders a little bit broader and um, and things like that. And so and so today they were like, oh, Dolores, I've, I've noticed that your your shoulders are looking a little bit broader. You're, and I was like, yeah, feel my muscles. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yes, this is a celebration. That's awesome. You know, there are things that are happening and my body is changing in ways that I'm actually really fucking excited about. Does it feel so good for someone to say that? Yes. Uh, I would imagine so. You're like, fucking finally. Yes. Like, my body represents what I've yeah. been feeling for and, so long. And I also totally get that that you're probably safer not making that assumption, right? Because especially if you're, like, cisgender, yeah. straight, you know, I think it's a different thing, you know, between, like, other trans folks, right, for us to notice those those things um so those have been so that's like an aspect in which i'm like man like this is something that i want like this is a ritual this is a rite of passage and god damn it i want to be fucking celebrated oh yeah you know i love that um and and it kind of bums me out right that like so that people don't notice sometimes i like sit in a room and i'm like (laughs) for the audio i'm i'm like stroking my tiny beard you know (laughs) um so great. Can I have one? Yeah. Um, but but then there's also the 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 you know, other side of this experience is that like, yeah, I totally am starting to get a few more side eyes here and there. My anxiety around going to the bathroom has in- increased tremendously. Okay, so we'll get to that. Imagine you're going to like, I don't know, the post office yeah. or fucking Walmart. Or, I don't know, places like that where there's, like, people that you don't know and people from a lot of different backgrounds and experiences and beliefs and things like that. What goes through your mind? In spaces like that, not much, really. In spaces like that, depending on how fast I move the space, I increasingly get uh, surd, which, in passing, I'm like, cool, great, okay. But if it's like a like at a cash register and then someone serves me, like the cashier serves me, most of the time I'm like, oh god, please don't, please don't notice, please don't notice, you know, like because and not even because I'm scared, but because I really don't want to have to go through the experience of a person being like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, like it's a bad thing that I've been served. Um, do you, how do you if that like has that situation happened, 
Where someone's oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, and lots of different And how do you scenarios. respond? Um, most of the time I respond with, like, it's not a big deal. Or, um, that's cool, I actually don't do ma'am. Good. I think um, that's really, A, brave, but also important. And I'm, I'm like, happy that you say that. Like, no, actually, yeah. I don't. I I think places where I have uh, sort of like I wonder about things like that are when I'm having like transactional interactions like on the phone for example and somebody's like okay Miss Chandler in that moment every single every single time I'm like okay do I correct them or do I just like let it go and the place where I actually have a lot of anxiety around it is, is in schools. I spend a lot of time in public schools. And I, um, and so I am very frequently misgendered. Unless, unless somebody at the school is, is already knowledgeable about like gender issues and pronouns and they've like noticed the my work signature which has a very large line that says pronouns they them right like i'm almost certain to get misgendered um or gendered differently by different people um or i've had now it's starting to happen where a teacher will introduce me to their class as she and i start seeing big eyes and titters and hearing titters from like students when they're like a (laughs) titter i never heard that word (laughs) it's a word it's been in books i believe you i just never have heard it Mm -hmm. um so how like yeah do you find this is my own curious curiosity like do you find there's a difference in like dealing with adults and dealing with young people um it depends. Most of the time, so usually if an adult at a school introduces me to the class, sometimes they'll say, like, Miss Dolores, and da da da. And so then I will reintroduce myself and I will say, My name is Dolores. I don't do Miss or Ma'am. Um, and I'll say, You can just call me Dolores. So, what was your decision making, or was a decision even, around not changing your name? Um. I really love my name. I can't, I just don't feel like compelled or a desire to, to change my name. I really love it. Um, I love that like not many people my age have my name. And I don't feel particularly drawn or attracted to another name. That's not to say that it won't be possible that at some point down the line I might reconsider, but at this moment I really feel no desire to change my name. You did change your pronouns to they, Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. What was that process like? Um, And what does that mean to you? What's the significance of that? Part of what I want to side note. Part of what I want to do in the podcast is um, do like a like an informational session about using they them pronouns mm-hmm. and like yeah. 
Yeah, so um, I think the, the pronouns, like, she and her never felt right to me. Um, and at the time that I made this change, I didn't feel comfortable using he, he or him because I knew that I didn't pass. So using, at the time, using they, them was a way for me to try to move towards some sort of more authentic way of being seen and acknowledged in the world um, without using she, her pronouns. And I actually initially had like a hard time with it because they, them initially doesn't sound, doesn't sound super like, it sounds distancing initially for me that's how it it felt and so I wasn't entirely comfortable and so one day I was like well I'm gonna I'm gonna try it you know and it took a while to get used to I mean there were times when people would be like talking about me and then they'd be like they and I'd be like who you talking about (laughs) (laughs) who's they they? (laughs) you know so it's not like it was a smooth transition for me um and you know now I'm more I'm more comfortable with it for myself and I'm also more comfortable like requiring people in requiring people to use that pronoun so what does it feel like when people misgender you uh, it feels like and is it different depending on the person um, it depends on how the person responds more. So when I am in a public space and I'm being misgendered, it feels um, like almost like someone is shoving me. So you have almost like a physical response. Yeah. Um, The more that I, as my physical appearance shifts, (laughs) the more concerned I become about my safety. Because... There's no guarantee that a person, that when I'm in a group of people, there will come a point in time where people may not even, where people might see me one way or another. There might come a point in time where people see me primarily as, as male. And if somebody misgenders me in that moment, it feels like more of a um, violation of my privacy because I have not made the decision to, um, so if somebody uses she and other people in a group are perceiving me as male, that for me is a question of my safety at that point. Um, And I've had people say to me, you know, like that they don't feel comfortable using they because it feels like, it feels impersonal. And that's a painful thing to hear because what I hear when people say that is I'm more worried about my comfort level than yours. Or 
I am not willing. It's not their safety that's at risk. Right. 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 Um, Or their identity even. Right. And, you know, and I think also one of the reasons why I'm choosing to stick with they at this moment is that he and him also do not feel accurate for me. What would you say to people, and I've heard this before, that say, well, I'm, I'm a grammar nerd, and they is plural. I would say that grammar is an arbitrary thing created by humans, mostly by white humans. And if it can be made by humans, it can be unmade. And certainly shifted. And certainly shifted and adjusted. There are plenty of words that people used to use in the past that we don't use anymore. Plenty of words. Or plenty Entire of words languages. that were never used in the past that we use easily. Mm-hmm. Like vague booking. <laughs> or subtweeting. Or fleek. Or fleek. I mean, we could easily go back and forth on this yes absolutely and if you're able to integrate those words into your vocabulary you sure as shit can integrate they them as a singular into your vocabulary well and do you ever feel that the plurality of they them suits you or no does that make I sense? guess it just doesn't it doesn't feel as much like a plurality okay. anymore. I think the plur, the when I experienced it as a plurality it felt kind of weird and uncomfortable, but it doesn't I don't relate to that word in, in that way anymore. Sorry. I don't relate to the to the word they in that in that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And I also like Sometimes it, it also just comes down to the simple fact of, like, people don't remember what a fucking pronoun is. Mm, what do you mean? Like, when I say, like, what pronouns do you use? People are like, what? Right, because we've <laughs> never had to really think about that. Yeah. As cis people. Because it's automatic. Mm-hmm. So, bathroom. So your story on our process series is about bathrooms, so we'll have that context, but... I wonder if you could just talk personally about, I mean, HB2, you know, and then I guess on like a, on just like your personal level, like what comes up for you around bathrooms as you're in your transition process? Mm. Um, I mean, I think you do a great job of talking about that in the story, but yeah. I mean, I think the thing is that I never, until I really started um, expressing my gender as more masculine, I didn't think a lot about what bathroom I would use. Um, And the more that I started to sort of like ex- express my gender identity the more I think my um, anxiety around using the bathroom 
increased and i think it started initially as like uh you know like walking to being like okay i have to pee and then walking toward a door and saying and seeing a sign that said like ladies on the door was just like an internal cringe moment for me um because it felt not true to who i was right like it felt like making that choice meant you know so on one level it's like what you you know it's like fucking plumbing it's a hole in the ground and the, the shit goes it all ends up in the same place right and on the other hand it's like symbolically like a denial of like who i know myself to be um and who i'm able to like say to the world that i am right so um you know and then there have been times definitely pre-testosterone where i would go into the bathroom and you know get weird looks or i'd go into the bathroom and some adult would be in there with their kid and their kid would be like is that a boy or a girl right you know and I'm like, just trying to wash my hands. <laughs> right. That's uh, that's it, you know. Um, and you know, now I I think pre testosterone things like using the bathroom while traveling were things that I didn't think too much about because I'd be like, well, you know, I'm traveling. Like, in terms of thinking about safety. Um, and now as I transition things in general, my, um, anxiety around the bathroom has increased. Um, so I spend a, I spend a lot of time thinking about where I'm going to go to the bathroom, which is a really like annoying thing to have to spend so much of your time thinking about (laughs) yeah Um, yeah it is because you just want to go and then move on yeah and i don't i don't think that that people who don't think about that understand the extent to which people who do have to think about it actually think about it or the anxiety that it increases or that it that it causes like you know and from you know kids at school who identify as transgender who or gender non-conforming or gender fluid right or or non-binary in some way right like there are students who don't go to the bathroom all day at school they just i'm like you know met a kid a couple years ago who was like i don't go to the bathroom at school which is sick you know one of the when I was at Reed one of the things that the the dean said was our yeah our vision is that or our principle that we that we kind of go by is that everyone should have the right to walk about the same distance to a bathroom Mm -hmm. that feels comfortable for them and to me that was something really practical and like yeah it's just like a really great yeah. way of thinking about it. Like, yeah, everyone should be able to like 
think about like the same distance because what they were saying was like when they first started they had an all gender bathroom in one building on campus the student that was like the most uh frequented by students but that if students were like in class in a different building you know would they need to like walk outside Mm -hmm. was it going to be raining was it going to be snowy was it you know who knows what else you know is it across all the way across campus is it the bathroom that like all the uh you know cis straight people use to take their daily shits in (laughs) right for 20 minutes you know right and so i i to me that was like a really helpful um bet you like are starting to relate to sound in a totally different way totally. I, I had a, a CD I was listening to the other day it was like somebody's mixtape and I was like oh my god I'm so bougie about sound now like these yeah. people probably recorded with the best equipment they have and yeah I'm like I didn't get yeah. that right blah, blah, blah. you know I'm like oh god it's horrible um, but one one thing that I'm interested in doing is saying like here are some really concrete ways that you as like a cis person or you as a person in power or you, you know, as, as someone that wants to do better, here are some really concrete ways that you can do that. And one of those, I thought that was really beautiful. Like everybody should be able to walk the same distance to a bathroom with the same amount of ease. Do you have other things like that that you think of? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing about the issue of distance is really key. Like, so here's the thing about me is that if I have the option for a gender neutral bathroom, I will always choose the gender neutral bathroom. Most of the time, that means I have to go to some faraway corner of a building to use the gender neutral bathroom. If there's one at all. If there is one at all. And if not, then I have to make a decision. Most of the time, until it becomes no longer feasible for me. You mean like to hold it? No, I mean to like, you know, if I'm walking around with like a full on beard, I'm not going to walk into the women's restroom. But I have more fear right now about trying to use the men's restroom because I've tried to use the men's restroom in a bathroom that was full of men and it's not a pleasant experience yeah one thing that I loved about your story is you talk about fear on both sides of the coin right like you in going into a men's restroom you fear for your own safety in going into a women's restroom you fear for how other women perceive their own safety mm-hmm. perceive their safety their personal safety and and yeah. that you know i think that is the kind of decision that um that cis people never have to and not just from a perspective of gender but from a perspective of race as well that i have to become increasingly more aware of my existence as a black trans masculine person yeah. And the impact that that has on women. Right. Because, again, you can't go unnoticed. Or you're not, I mean, mm-hmm. in, especially in a white town like Chapel Hill, 
you're pretty much not going to go unnoticed in a space like that, at least. And, um, and there are these, I mean, not just in Chapel Hill, but around the U.S. and even the world, there are these perceptions of, like, black masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're, we, as white cis women, are taught to fear black men. And laws have been made around that. You know, history has deemed that especially dangerous. You know, there's all kinds of issues there. So how does that... How do you think about that? I mean, it's just one more thing that I have to be concerned about. Yet again, that is not about me. Right? It's another thing that I have to be concerned about for the comfort of white people. And my decision... And I also have to make decisions about when and where I will push against that or I will challenge that. So there are places where I might march in if there if there's not the option for a gender neutral restroom where I make the decision to march into the men's restroom and be like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna use the men's restroom and if you say something to me about it, I'm gonna raise hell. There are places does it depend on the day? Like, do you have days? Where sometimes like, it depends on. Sometimes I'm like, "Fuck you!" I'm gonna use the men's restroom and try and say something to me about it. But then there are some days where I'm just like, I just don't want to be I'm inhabit the identity of the other in most of the spaces that I'm in. And sometimes I have more resilience (laughs) than at other times. So what does it feel like for something like HB2 to happen and that be such a public conversation? Um, I mean, in some ways, I think it, it makes... One of the things that is the most infuriating about HB2 is that it displaces fear and it the fact of the matter is that trans and gender non-conforming people experience exponentially more fear and anxiety around going to the bathroom period than non-trans people do and not just fear but real danger yes and real danger so to have that narrative flipped is violent and it totally invisibilizes the experience that a number of people in this country have on a daily basis that impacts not just our emotional health but our physical health and the fact of the matter is that to go into a restroom and act a fool or be a creep or victimize somebody is a crime has been a crime and what what HB2 says is that trans and transgender people 
are the committers of those crimes simply by virtue of their presence. And it's not, and you know, like it's, so it's one thing for, for adults to have this conversation, to navigate this issue, to have our feelings around it. And it's also another thing to know that there are more trans and gender nonconforming kids out in schools now than there probably have been ever before Mm -hmm. and just to be clear not that there are more of those students but that more of them are out and to be a child and to have to hear people create legislation and to criminalize children not that it makes it any more acceptable to criminalize like adult behavior, but to criminalize children. That's that's the crime. Right. And I, I've been thinking so much during this HB2 bullshit around kids that feel their trans identity and aren't yet out, but having to hear their parents and hear people Mm -hmm. in their communities talk so negatively and so Mm -hmm. viciously against Mm -hmm. what they may see as a, as a, as a liberating identity. It's just heartbreaking to me. It makes me like sick. And it just puts another layer of shame. And it's victim blaming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. So, where do you find joy? Um, mm. I, f- I find joy in my facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I find joy in the sound of my voice. I find joy in being able to be honest about who I am and to have someone look at me and understand or empathize. I recently had an experience at at a middle school where I was doing a session for parents on on, um, supporting trans and gender nonconforming youth in school and I actually spent a lot of time and this is this is a uh, a right that I exercise in spaces when I'm facilitating or training is actually that of like self-disclosure um, and explicitly outing myself as trans and explicitly talking about what it feels like for me to go to the bathroom not everybody can do that not everybody feels like they should do that or feels obligated to do that um, it's a choice that I make depending on the situation and so I recently had an experience where I did spend some time talking about what it feels like to spend the, the amount of time that I do thinking about these things and so to have somebody sit across from me and look at me and listen to me 
and recognize that those are things that they've never had to think about is there's a certain kind of joy in that right a joy in being in being seen and understood um And it's risky, right, to make that decision. But when it pays off, it feels damn right. How's that received? With a lot of compassion and, like, tenderness and a gratitude and appreciation. Um, I think that one of the things that's... I think one of the things that's... that that actually I would I would offer as like advice to people who are ever listening to somebody share um, an experience that they have never had to deal with is one is to be immensely grateful because that person sharing making themselves vulnerable enough in a moment to share something like that is a gift it really is a gift yeah so I've had the privilege of seeing you perform. And I think one of the things that brings me so much joy in watching you in that space is seeing you so fully inhabit like all kinds of identities, mm. right? And I wonder, you know, this is a question I've always wanted to ask you, like how does that feel in a, in a performance space? To be able to like um, express your identity, whether that be in clothes or makeup or hair or music or whatever, like how does that feel for you in a space where it's like really open and accepting? Like how does mm-hmm. it feel for you to be able to go on stage and be like, these are all the parts of me, mm-hmm. and here I am like on display yeah. for you, and I'm really loving it. Right, oh, I. Yeah. You, oh, that's no, no, the spirit. I love it. Okay, that's I'm like, the no, don't get me wrong. I'm you... vain as fuck, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, I have no problem being on stage, and I have, you know, uh, or you know, making in a certain way like parts of myself available for consumption. So there. So one of the things that's been really interesting is that that actually being on stage is one of the only places where I feel like I've actually been able to like play with femininity and my own like flavor and version of femininity that feels like it's completely under my control um and in ways like I've worn things and done things on stage that like I would never do walking down the street because because a because that's that's my container right for for me like this is a space where um, where I feel like I have the most control and I feel like I can also present and perform aspects of femininity that are like super freaky and weird and you know and 
I, I don't know. The stage is one of those places where you, in a sense, um, can be really vulnerable and at the same time, like, totally not vulnerable at all because it's all a performance. Yeah. And in much the same way that gender is as we're walking through the world, right? Yeah. Everything about the way that we perform our gender is... is it's performative whether it's subconsciously or by or by choice and I can also play with the the fluidity of femininity and masculinity um, and do so in a way that um, that requires a certain element of like reflection and process on my part, right? Because there's a processing that happens, a reflection that happens on my part when I decide to put something out on the stage. And I've been fortunate to feel like that is also validated by the audience, right? So one of the most powerful things for me as a performer is to make the decision to put something on stage and to get a response back from somebody that says like, that's totally how I feel. Mm. Because it's all in the service of like reminding each other that we're not alone in what we experience or what we feel. And that's not to say that I've never pushed it on stage that people have come at and been like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's 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 like a process of, of learning, right? There are things that I've done on, that I did on stage, you know, five years ago that I would like never do now mm-hmm. with more sensitivity and more like political and more awareness of trauma, mm-hmm. right? So it's all, it's a, a learning, you know, uh, process. But those moments when someone comes up to me and it's like, you, to- like, yes, that, that right there. I'm like... It's like the embodiment of my mind. Yeah. 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 An experience. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I think even for me as like a cis person that feels pretty comfortable in their cisgenderedness, um, you know, there are, when I see you perform, it's like liberating for me as well to say like, holy shit, like, there's Dolores up there, like, totally embodying everything that they want to about their own gender identity. And that gives me the freedom and the license to be able to do that in my own cisness, even. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's, I mean, I think that's the thing, too, is, like, all of us are socialized in one way or another Mm -hmm. because the binary is fucking real, Um, you know, still to this day um but i think each of us has aspects of our of our identities that are more more feminine or more masculine or more fluid Mm -hmm. and we don't often get the space or the time to play around with those Mm -hmm. right um in our intimate relationships in our sexuality in i mean especially in relationship with our family i think in my opinion experience but and so I think like for me it's always been so liberating to like watch you in that space and have that have the personal relationship with you to know a little bit of the background but to then leave that 
you know, performance and say, and just have this kind of like energy and excitement around playing with those boundaries. Yeah. You know, I love that. I I want everybody to be able to play around with 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 those gender boundaries. I want that too. Right. And I think that there is an aspect of it that is so playful. Right. And so liberate. I mean, like one of the times that I have felt the most sexy was when I like had, you know, I had like put on facial hair and had fake eyelashes and eyeshadow and glitter. And I was like, God damn, I look good. I mean, you know what I mean? Which is like, I never see anybody like walking out in the world like that. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel fucking hot right now. Like I would fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know, not that like hotness is, is, is like only about fucking, but you know, you know what I mean? It's but a level like, of confidence. Yeah. Too, you know? like, like I just, I'm like, I am really feeling myself in this moment with this thing that is happening. Right. And for me that I'm like, this is feels like a true expression of my gender. Yeah. Right. With like fucking like, beard and and you know like a goatee and like glitter and fake eyelashes and I'm like yes yeah well and I think it's really beautiful too on a personal level because I know you as like a super empathetic person as someone that's like always super aware of other people around you and like the impact that you're having in this space and 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 your relationship with others and so to see you like up on stage and you're like, this is me, all me, and I am working it, you know? And, yeah. and that is like, I love seeing that duality or multiplicity or whatever you want to call it in, in you and not just you, but in a person, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that's really rare. And yet, I think we all have those things within us, mm-hmm. some more than others, or you know, in different ways than others. Um, but to see someone else like inhabiting those personalities and those um, those physical traits and things like that so openly and freely is is just really um, fun and exciting, and also liberating for for those around you. Yeah, I think so. Well, thanks. That's. Thank you. That's nice to hear, especially <laughs> in like the, you know, in preparation for getting ready for another performance. Ooh. I'm like, okay. When? Uh, May 26th. Okay, cool. I'll yeah. be here still. Cool. Yeah. I mean, my goal, personal goal for me in life is to like not ever um, define my masculinity in opposition to femininity. And to not ever define femininity in opposition to masculinity. They do not have to be in opposition to each other. Oh. And they are they are not, right? Like, yes, the words masculinity and femininity, like, are inherently in opposition to each other. But the characteristics that we associate with each are absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And And, like, that is part of, like figuring out who I am in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Is to do so without having to place myself in opposition to either masculinity, unless it's toxic masculinity, right? Or femininity. Yeah. 
And one of the things that I feel is like it's super important to do is, especially in the work that I do in terms of sexual violence prevention and like talking about gender stereotypes um, and talking about femininity in particular, is to, to have that moment to say like, you know, like, if you dig like small clothes, I have a coworker of mine who loves to say, use the word term small clothes, which I really love because it's a super non-judgmental way to yeah. uh, talk about small clothes. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Like, don't let anybody shame you out of that. Right, like, like yes, we live in a society that does that, but do that because because it makes you feel good. Yeah. About who you are, and I will never deny you that, and yeah. don't let anybody else ever deny you that. And if that's not your thing, don't feel pressured to like make that be your thing. Yeah. Like, I love that. I the, one of the this. As a brief aside, but um, I had a coworker previously who's like, like a large black South African woman with a really loud personality, and she had a completely bald head, and she had this crease in the back of her head, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I was always so envious because I'm like, my dream is to shave my head, but I've always been too self-conscious about doing it. And so, you know, I would always say, like, oh, I love your hair. I love your head. I love, like, I love this, you know, and you're, it's just, I think you're so beautiful. And she's, she was always like, yeah, like, this is, you know, I've always had my hair like this. And, like, you know, some people, they, like, hate on me because, like, I have this crease. And they're always like, you should cover up that crease in your head. But you know what? That's my crease. And I yes. like my crease. Fuck yeah! And I want to show my crease because that's my crease. Yes. <laughs> and and like, I loved that moment. And I think about it so often. I dream about it, and I'm like, holy shit, that's my crease. And and I think about that. My crease like, brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> damn right. <laughs> and like, I don't have a crease, but like, I got a fupa, or like, I got <laughs> hips, or whatever. And it's like, whatever. Like, that's mine. Yeah. And this is my body and this is me and this is all of those things go into making who I am. And it's probably one of the, well, I don't want to speak in, I don't want to overgeneralize, but like, I think the trick, one of the challenging things for me, right, as a person who's in the process of making alterations and changes to my body is to still be able to try to have a conversation with myself about how to love my body. Mm where it is in the moment yeah you know because you feel like you're losing pieces of your body that you really loved before no yeah Mm um no and and you know there are also parts of like you know and all of all of this is about like socialization right so one of the big like fears or concerns that i had when i started taking testosterone was which is like again this goes back to the vain as fuck comment that I made earlier <laughs> was I was like what if I start to lose my hair 
Like, what if I get like male pattern baldness? What if I all of a sudden go bald? I was like, I'm not. I mean, my hair, my hair is like good. It's nice. I'm like, (laughs) I got good hair. You know, and I have not always felt this way about my hair, right? Like my hair. Again, another podcast episode is how folks of color relate to their hair. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, so that being like. I don't know. I don't know. Like I a just, deep I don't, part of your identity. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't know if I'm really concerned about this, yeah. you know? And also, also in terms of like weight, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm taking testosterone. I'm going to gain weight. Yeah. Some of it's going to be muscle mass. Some of it's going to be fat, depending on how many beers I have. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, that's going to impact the ratio of, like, muscle (laughs) to fat. And, like, one of the questions was, like, you know, like, okay, like, so, yeah, like, I've been spending time at the gym, like, you know, working on certain aspects of my physique and, like, my task for myself as somebody who, being socialized as a woman and being told that I've been overweight, being told that, like, you know, like, and and also, like, making really... um, erratic decisions around diet and and exercise and that points exercising way too much and a point's not exercising at all that's something that that's not going to disappear right like my sense of body image is not just going to magically evaporate yeah because i'm taking testosterone right, now. right 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 so of course not yeah so like those and and it hasn't right like those things have like followed me it's not like i'm gonna like magically you know wake up like nine months into tea with like a six-pack right right right? so i think at at all points regardless of whether or not you know what i mean like so yes there are still very much aspects of the way that i relate to myself that are about like this is my body right like and it's not ever gonna be like uh lebron's body or like chris or like idris elba's body god i wish you know like right and if it were then like i would have to live my life in a way that is totally right right probably not congruent with like who i am in the world Right, so I think that there's which is interesting because there's probably other things about. I mean, and you've spoken to this already. Other things about your body changing that are really exciting. So you're like dealing with both yeah. aspects, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm also more willing to tend to my physical well-being now that I'm taking testosterone because. I feel like I'm working toward a body that I'm more willing to work with. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah. But... Because I would imagine it feels more like your body. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it feels more like my body. Yeah. Um, And I think in general, I have made... I'm making decisions about how to take care of my physical health now that I've started taking testosterone. Mm -hmm. Really because if I'm taking like hormone and I want it to go well, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and I think in some ways it's made it more possible or easier for me to make decisions around the health of my body that I did not feel as invested in yeah. when 
I could not relate to my body. Right. Right. So, what have I not asked? Or, or are there other things you want to say? Um... I guess the only other thing that I want to say is that like all of this stuff that I said is like to- is like just here in this moment and like man who knows what it's going to be like a year from now you know I think that the one of the, the one of the things that makes me feel really lucky to like be who I am and to also like have started like physical physical transition when I have is that I've actually gotten to spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff and figuring out like who I want to be in the world and the power for me the power in identifying as trans is the power of getting to define for myself who I am and like that's something that like the patriarchy and oppression tries to deny us and like that's the gift that like right like that has come from the turmoil right right? is that like I get to make me and you know so I don't regret right that I like waited as long as I did to start taking testosterone because I wouldn't be who I am right now I don't think yeah if I had started earlier yeah not it's not to say that there hasn't been a lot of like pain and suffering that has come from like postponing the decision but like it does make me me and and if there's one thing that I am is like a hardcore fucking in-betweener Right, like uh, speaking in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of of culture. Like I've just have always been in the space in between, and like in the intersection. Yeah, and like, honey, that's where I do my best work. Yeah, and I wouldn't trade that for a fucking thing. That's it. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs>